We're here with Richard Gervin, the new principal of the Stephen Peirce Foundation, and we're going to speak to him this morning about his new role. Richard, what attracted you to this position in Cambridge? Well, uh, good morning and, uh, and thank you, Anita. Um, I, uh, well, lots of things, I would say. Uh, was, obviously, Cambridge is a place I know well um, uh, from having studied here as a uh, university undergraduate and then uh, uh, did my master's here and also my, uh, my, te my teacher training uh, as a PGCE student. Uh, so I, I knew Cambridge well uh, beforehand. Uh, but in terms of Stephen Purse, I think the thing that attracted me most, as, as probably would do in most instances, is, is the people uh, and the, all the people that I got to meet. And uh, uh, through the interview process, which was a rigorous process, um, I got to meet a number of the governors uh, and uh, a number of members of the, the senior leadership team and, and the heads of school. And everybody that I met, uh, I came away from, from the meeting feeling a sense of uh, genuine interest in, in the development of young people, uh, and uh, an, an excitement about the future uh, for, for Stephen Perth. Um, and, and so the people, uh, I think the place uh, I've already kind of touched on, I think for me, you know, the professional challenge of, uh, of coming to a, a, a group of schools uh, and, uh, and trying to make sure that each uh, and every one of those schools receives uh, you know, appropriate attention and, and, and that through the course of the next few years to be able to build a sense of community across the, the, the schools. I think will be something that uh, that I'm really interested in and excited about, um, and I think then the final piece of, of of what interests me is is family, and I have a young family. I've got three young children, uh, and uh, I'm keen for them to experience uh, uh, the education that's provided by the Stephen Purse Foundation, and uh, and they're very excited about joining uh, the prep schools uh, and the nursery in the, in the next few months. So you're taking over from a principal who was in post for over 18 years, nearly 19 years. The foundation has seen significant strategic development during Trisha Kelleher's time there. What do you think the biggest challenge will be for you as the new leader of Stephen Purse? Well, I, th I think, first of all, uh, to acknowledge um, you know, all of the work that Trisha did over a, a, a very long period of time, 18 years, a long time to be a, a principal or a head. Uh, and she's done incredible work uh, seeing the school through some very interesting times uh, and seeing the uh, the expansion uh, of the of the foundation uh, and and the moves to to, to co-education and uh, and i think her most significant legacy uh, is, uh, is is manifest in the last few months uh, that you know the fact that when the world changed as a result of of covid uh, you know the pupils were able to rapidly and staff were able to rapidly adapt to a very different new normal uh, and uh, and to use the digital skills that she had championed to uh, um, uh, to ensure continuity of teaching and learning and school administration through what has been a no a very challenging time for all schools but I think Stephen Purse has come through that challenge uh, particularly impressively and um, in terms of uh, succeeding Tricia I think it's a case of trying to maintain the momentum that she has helped to create I think. Uh, there, there are challenges immediately inherent in that uh, because there's a personal challenge for me of trying to get to know uh, everybody across the foundations schools at a time where social distancing is in in place uh, and where it's more difficult perhaps to to uh, sort of strike that uh, that rapport that comes with being in a room with someone and um, so that, i think that's an, an immediate challenge but one that i'm uh, keen to engage with over the course of the summer and, and september october time I think more broadly, there are sort of short-term challenges uh, to to ensure that uh, the school uh, is ready in time for September, uh, and uh, that we're responding appropriately to to government guidance and 
and using appropriate risk assessment and risk management uh, to ensure that uh, when people do come back in September, they feel safe and well looked, uh, well looked after, but also that they have uh, as close to a normal teaching and learning experiences as we can uh, afford, uh, given the constraints that, that may be imposed at that time. So I think that's the, the immediate short term uh, challenge is to, is to kind of ride out the storm uh, presented by the current situation. I think longer term that the challenge uh, that the school uh, and, and the schools of the foundation face are the challenges that all independent schools are facing, uh, which are to ensure that we continue to have a, a diverse uh, socioeconomic uh, makeup of pupils and that, that uh, increasingly uh, we're focused on environmental sustainability as, a, as an organization. Uh, and that we're doing what we need to do to respond to the, the, the challenges uh, of ad adapting practice to, to be more environmentally uh, sustainable. I think it's uh, it, I think it's fair to say that independent schools and schools in general are faced with some uncertainty. I mean, it's a time of changing global and educational. Uh, um, I think there's a change in global and educational landscape, and uh, and so there will be a need to be. Uh, solving problems and um, the schools will need to be nimble uh, and adaptable in the, in the months and years ahead uh, and uh, and so so there's plenty of challenges um, but my sense is that far from those challenges being daunting uh, they're really quite exciting and, and with every challenge and every crisis there, there comes an opportunity and I, um, I've been hugely impressed with the way in which uh, uh, schools and in particular Stephen Parse have upskilled uh, their staff over the course of the last uh, few months and, and staff have upskilled themselves uh, and, and actually there will be things that we will take uh, from uh, what we've learned uh, over the course of the last few months which which will hopefully uh, uh, see a better form of education in the future there have been absolutely there have been things that we have lost but there are things that when when uh, life returns hopefully to to, to normal uh, we'll be able to take with us. And I think that's uh, that's hugely exciting. You've had a long career in a leading independent boys' school at St Paul's in London. and But I know you're a governor of several co-ed schools. Um, societal change means that more and more schools are becoming co-ed. So you're really well placed to see how educating boys and girls together can be effective for all. Tell us about your views. On this. Um, so so, yeah, a good question, and, and, and all, all of the points that you've made there are, are valid. Um, I think, personally, I grew up in a co-ed environment. I went to a co-ed primary school and secondary school in, in Belfast in Northern Ireland, um, and so learned firsthand you know, the, the, the benefits and some of the upsides and downsides of that. Um, I have, as you've uh, acknowledged there, I've, I've spent a long time in an all-boys environment, and recognised and uh, and evaluated the strengths and weaknesses of single sex education there. Um, my my daughter is currently at a, a single sex uh, girls prep school, um, and she's had a great time. Uh, there have been things that she's uh, really enjoyed and things that she might have missed out on. I think um, my sense is that uh, the best schools, whether single sex or co-ed, uh, recognise the, uh, the the benefits and the and the risks uh, around. Uh, placing boys either uh, separately and girls separately from one another uh, or bringing pupils together uh, under one roof uh, and, and they optimise the benefits and they, they mitigate as far as possible uh, the, the downsides. Um, I think that uh, increasingly as a society and as a civilization, we've come to recognise that gender is, is something but, but something and nothing in, in, in many ways. And, uh, and it's really important that pupils are treated individually uh, and allowed to um, express who they are uh, along, a, I guess, a gender continuum. Uh, and, and for some uh, boys, it's really important to be seen as, uh, 
as uh, as strong and powerful, and and, and some boys uh, quite the opposite. Uh, and, and and likewise for girls, I think it, what it is really important is that, that girls uh, and boys have uh, opportunity, and, and that we. Uh, particularly in a co-ed environment that we don't stereotype and so we treat pupils as individuals rather than stereotypical uh, boys or girls uh, and we allow them in, uh, with space and support to find out who they really want to be uh, and, and to have access to the, the, the same kinds of opportunities that we would wish uh, in any environment. Education, let's talk about education now, so education means much more than exam success in today's world. Tell me how you view an ideal independent education and what it should deliver for students across the age range that the foundation offers. So my initial response to that is, is that an ideal independent education is reliant, uh, heavily reliant upon, uh, upon teachers. And I think great teachers uh, are, 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 I guess, the bedrock of, of, of an excellent education. I think teachers are hugely important, both as role models, as mentors, uh, as guides. Uh, and as facilitators of learning, uh, and the best teachers will ensure the best education. Uh, so I, th I think I would put teachers as, as really important. It's important from my perspective to recruit the best possible uh, staff uh, and, and for those staff to have uh, meaningful opportunities uh, in, in the various curriculum areas and, and sufficient time uh, to be able to deliver uh, the, the education and, and to engage with pupils in a really uh, positive and meaningful way. Um, I think uh, historically in independent education, um, pupils have learned by doing and, and the breadth of activities and opportunities has ensured uh, to an extent uh, a, a rich uh, and enriching education. I think in the last few years, um, uh, in particular, uh, so, sort of since the, the, the late 90s and, and early 2000s, there was a real focus on metacognition and, and getting pupils to think about their thinking uh, and to reflect more. And I think over the course of the last few years, uh, that's uh, become much more custom and practice in, in both the classroom, uh, on, the, on the games field, uh, in, in the theatres and so on. Uh, teachers have been much better at engaging pupils in reflecting on not just uh, what they're doing, but, but how they're learning through that uh, and, and providing them with learning models for the future. So I think that's uh, something that independent schools do really well. I think a, a, an excellent independent education provides pupils with... Uh, a moral compass, uh, and not teaching them what to think, but certainly teaching them how to think and to be able to uh, evaluate um, uh, what, what is good from what is bad. Uh, and, and then I guess additionally, uh, we're looking at the development of character through that. So, so people being able to develop good judgment and good interaction with others. And um, I think mental health and well-being is, is of primary importance, particularly at this time when we're faced with so many uh, uh, sort of challenges that we haven't seen before, that that um, that uh, unusual uh, set of circumstances, because of it being unusual and unpredictable, is is I'm sure causing anxiety and trepidation amongst pupils. Uh, and being a teenager was anxious, uh, anxiety-inducing enough before COVID. So I think mental health and well-being is really important, uh, and I think that staff uh, uh, increasingly, again, in independent education, are, are taking that seriously destigmatizing mental health and engaging in those conversations with pupils uh, and and uh, and also being able to help them to find support where they need to i think finally a, a really uh, high quality independent education allows pupils to find something that they're passionate about uh, and something that they want to engage with beyond school uh, and, and and actually preparing them for life is is a, a huge part of that 
is fine, helping them to find something that they want to spend their life doing, or at least the next part of their life doing. Uh, and I think that's, again, something that independent education is through, uh, through the breadth of opportunity, uh, it's easier for more pupils within an independent education setting uh, to be able to find something that, that they really care about uh, and then to pursue that. That's great. Thank you. Um, how can schools incorporate sustainability for all in the school community to benefit? So I think, um, I, I kind of touched on, I think environmental sustainability is a big challenge for, for all organisations and institutions and, and actually governments and, and countries uh, in the years ahead. Uh, we, we have, I think, begun to wake up to the importance of this as a, as a kind of global society. I know that uh, in Cambridge, uh, we've been alive to it for, for, for a number of years. And I know that at Stephen Purse, there is a, a lively and uh, committed band of, of pupils who are uh, uh, lobbying hard for the school to improve its practice here. Um, I, and I welcome that. I think it's really important that we are engaging uh, with pupils around the prioritisation of environmental uh, sustainability going forward. And we need to make sure that it's meaningfully placed into all aspects of the curriculum so that we're engaging with uh, with the issues uh, that, that pupils are equipped with a, a better understanding of the issues and um, so that they uh, themselves can prioritize and, and recognize the priority and um, but but also that they can learn about how how best to uh, respond to it uh, both as individuals and then as part of part of groups and um, i think it's uh, in terms of uh, school structure i think it's really helpful to have an environmental champion uh, you know a sustainability champion on the senior leadership team and among the governing body i know that stephen post benefits from that on the governing body already uh, and uh, and is one of few schools to, to be able to count uh, somebody with real knowledge and expertise in this area uh, amongst its GB. And I think that's really helpful. And um, I think we, schools generally, and, and certainly Stephen Purse will increasingly, be continuously auditing our day-to-day -day practices to see how we can make them better and more sustainable. And I think there's a lot of things that we can do. I think there's a huge opportunity for having an operational uh, impact uh, there. And, you know, things like re uh, reducing consumption of, of consumables, things like paper, uh, food waste, uh, transport fuel, and um, you know, looking at the, uh, the the buildings, energy consumption, water management. Um, I think uh, you know things like uh, rainwater harvesting. I'm sure that's already in place because the building's re relatively new. It's only the senior school, but there will be other uh, buildings that will be being uh, developed in, in time ahead. And, and building sustainably is really important and has significant impact. You know, things like insulation, uh, light bulbs. Uh, living walls and roofs as well, I think, are, are not just uh, environmentally friendly, but they're also emblems of the prioritisation uh, of, of environmental um, uh, sustainability uh, across the community and also help to build a sense of connection between uh, pupils and their environment, uh, which is hard to do in a city, actually, uh, or, or certainly in a city where there's uh, uh, limited scope for, uh, for, for further uh, building development. I think, um, in addition, it's really important that uh, that there is effective role modelling uh, in, in terms of sustainability amongst the leadership team. And uh, uh, so things like personally uh, demonstrating that I'm on board with this. And so I think I think with my family, um, it, it's about making sure that um, together we are growing, you know, my, my kids are growing up knowing about the impact of what they eat and, and what they do with uh, waste and, and how they shop. Uh, and making sure that they're making uh, good decisions. And so as a family that we're recycling uh, regularly, uh, that, we're, that we're not eating lots of red meat and that we're, we're shopping 
uh, ideally locally uh, for foods and, and, and consumables that have a low carbon footprint uh, and that we are uh, avoiding things like long haul flights uh, or, or unnecessary use of cars. Um, and uh, and, and you know, little things that you can do day to day that uh, over time will have a significant impact. And if, if, if I can act as a role model for pupils and more of them can uh, can respond positively uh, in that regard, then, then actually that will have a, a big impact cumulatively. Thank you. Um, let's talk about sport. You're a keen sportsman and you were awarded a blue, I understand, which is the ultimate recognition in sport at Cambridge University for playing rugby league. So how important is sport in an all round education? So I think, I mean, reflecting on on my own uh, sort of sporting, uh, I won't say achievement, uh, I, I think uh, uh, sporting uh, involvement. Um, I, I really enjoyed sport growing up. I played a lot of rugby league and rugby union. I was fortunate to play at, at the university in, in both codes uh, and just about missed out on, on a rugby union blue, although I got onto the bench for the varsity match uh, in my final year, my PTCE year, but didn't quite get on the field. Um, I think uh, what I've learned uh, from from playing sport over the over the years is the all of the benefits of of, of team uh, you know, a, a team activity and actually the sport is a, is a, is a, um, a a crutch for, for that really and um, pupils growing up playing sport will learn how to interact well with each other will learn about the importance of um, uh, helping each other out uh, listening taking instruction and giving feedback. All of these are things that they'll use beyond school, and uh, not just in sport, but in but in their working lives, uh, and uh, and and also sport helps to develop that uh, resilience. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't tell you how many uh, times I've injured myself playing playing rugby, and probably uh, uh, turn most people off the sport. But but certainly through those injuries and, and convalescing and and rehabilitating, you you realise actually that you can get through periods of, of pain and discomfort. Uh, and uh, and that you will be stronger as a result. And uh, and certainly, I think that's really important for young people to learn uh, to how to cope with uh, with challenge and, and with difficulty. So I think sport is important. I think it's one of a number of uh, activities that schools uh, should should offer. And I think breadth of opportunity across the co-curricular um, uh, spectrum is really important, so that those pupils can find. Uh, so that pupils can find something that they're really passionate about. For me, it was sport. I, I, I love playing uh, sport and it took me, uh, it took me to, to Cambridge University and it took me beyond Cambridge to, uh, to my current employer. Uh, and I've been involved in sports uh, coaching and, uh, and refereeing. Uh, I got a huge amount of uh, physical benefit from that, as well as uh, sort of emotional and, uh, and spiritual benefit, for want of a better word. So, uh, Richard, you studied at Cambridge University, gaining both undergraduate and postgraduate degrees here. So what are you most looking forward to in a return to the city? So I'm, I'm really looking forward to all aspects of being back in Cambridge. I think it's a, it's a fantastic place. It's changed a little bit since, uh, since I was uh, there as an undergraduate in terms of the buildings, uh, but the academic uh, environment, the academic spirit of the place uh, is still very much uh, as it was. Uh, I think um, it's become culturally more diverse. I think more, more students are coming from uh, further afield, and, and I think that's positive. I think that creates a, a kind of cultural melting pot as well as an academic melting pot. And I, I think... Um, uh, being in that uh, in that environment uh, can can only be good for me and for, for for my children, and I can imagine it it can only be good for the pupils of Stephen Perks. And I know that a number of uh, a number of pupils, particularly in the sixth form, come from overseas, uh, specifically for that. 
uh, that um, it's, a, it's an ideal preparation for the next steps uh, into university life as a 16, 17, 18 year old to spend uh, you know, two years uh, in, in probably the finest university city in the world, um, albeit I'm biased, um, I, I think is a fantastic way of, uh, of preparing uh, to, to take up a, a, an undergraduate place at a, at a top university like Cambridge. Thank you, Richard. It was lovely to meet you and I know we'll look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you very much, Anita. Thank you.